Caribbean Cricket Podcast with me, David Oram. I'll be looking at the recent major cricket news stories in the region in the company of my good friend, the renowned West Indies cricket commentator, Joseph Reds Pereira. Greetings, Reds. How are you? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm after a short trip to Canada and looking forward to um, you know the rest of the year, so to speak, in terms of sport and in terms of life. Yep, absolutely. Well, we're both uh, uh, recovering from the Olympics in one way or another. I mean, it's two, three weeks since you and I have spoken, Red. I, fortnight ago, I spoke to uh, Dr. Andrew Ford while you were away uh, in, in Canada, and you and I should have spoken last week. But unfortunately, I've spent a week basically in bed, laid up with the dreaded uh, lurgy, a bit of deli belly. But I'm feeling much much on the mend now. And, uh, and yeah, we've got a great deal to catch up on. Um, the first thing we'll catch up on, Reds, is uh, this weekend's just gone two 2020 matches between West Indies and India. Uh, did you get to see much of them? Yes, on my computer, um, uh, quick time served me very well. <laughs> uh, there was audio also, and it was really a nail biter. I think one of the things about um, playing in South Florida, maybe like St. Kitts, it's a small ground. So it's a, a captain's headache, it's a bowler's headache, and as the late Malcolm Marshall used to say, cricket is a batsman's game, mm. and you couldn't want more of a nail biter. I felt the West Indies tailed off a little bit in the last six overs. They did. And they eventually got 245, which was a fairly competitive score for 2020. But I thought they would have gotten somewhere around 260. We didn't maybe capitalize on the very good platform by Lewis and, and Charles. Um, but uh, one must give India credit. They, they chased with all the confidence in the world. And uh, at one time, it looked that they will never probably get there. Well, they almost got there. And it was a last ball situation. Uh, bravo to Dhoni. I mean, you you couldn't want more of an Alfred Hitchcock, <laughs> Derek Walcott, um, any, any Caribbean writer to, to, to write a script like that. No, it was it was a wonderful end, and uh, the match did uh, you know have a great deal of excitement. I confess, and I must be showing my age. I I found it perhaps just a little too much. I found so many sixes. It was like having yet another cheeseburger, and then another cheeseburger, and another cheeseburger. Um, it it, it I just felt a, a a little bit queasy by the end of it. But it was a wonderful, wonderful finale. And you quite rightly pick up on the marvellous performances with the bat of Johnson Charles and uh, Evan Lewis uh, with Chris Gunn. And, you know, David, uh, just on Lewis, um, you know, in life, you offered an opportunity. Gail was not um, fit, and he took that opportunity with both hands. And it goes back to Roy Fredericks, who initially was not picked to play uh, for Guyana, but he was still in Georgetown. Uh, the reserve opener... I was not at the ground when Stephen Kamash 
got ill and Fredericks was called in. He was at the ground just watching. And, uh, you know, well, you know the rest of the story. You know, life gives you an opportunity and Lewis took it. No, absolutely. And it was a, a delight to see their stroke play. And um, no, wonderful, wonderful. And obviously uh, very you know, personal level, both of us delighted to see the West Indies won. Um, on, a, on a wider level, though, uh, Reds, particularly when West Indies are struggling to find an opener alongside Craig Brathwaite at the moment, and they've fiddled around with the likes of Chandrika or played Leon Johnson out of position. I know 2020 is a very, very different game from Test cricket, and I'm the first to continually say that I don't think that Dwayne Bravo, for example, who's a great 2020 cricketer, could necessarily cut it at Test level anymore. But could either of these guys, Johnson, Charles or Evan Lewis, be seriously considered for that slot in Test cricket? Well, Lewis um, probably, uh, you know, might just have a, uh, an edge over Johnson Charles because he has probably had better scores at the first-class level. But um, as you rightly point out, David, it's difficult uh, to judge a 2020 in because uh, the, the field placing is totally different, um, and uh, you know you you don't have you don't have this um, the first six overs with only two men out. Mm. Um, you know the field placing is very different, and <clears throat> I, I I would be um, not surprised if a young opener uh, goes out uh, to, to Pakistan, maybe uh, along with Braffitt and and possibly um, uh, keeping Johnson. But a young opener will will probably go. It'll be good to blood a young opener on that tour. Yeah, well, in you know, in just a few moments, we'll look back and catch up with uh, the the end of that India Test series, which we haven't spoken about since I last spoke to you. But just to look at the second 2020 match uh, of this weekend for a moment, all ended rather disappointingly, Reds. Uh, after a disappointingly, well, it, it didn't kick off on time either, did it? Well, it was delayed because uh, the transmission to India television transition had technical problems and um, uh, the game just had to wait to start when they'd overcome the technical difficulties. If that was an ICC um, control match, um, I, I don't think that would have happened. I think the ICC would have said, look, you know, we must start in time. When you get the transmission going, well, by all means, go. I, I, that's my take on it. You think the ICC would, would have said, hold on, we'll start when you're ready? Well, it was a question I was asked uh, elsewhere today, Reds. I, I did an interview on uh, South African radio uh, with a pal of mine, Ben Karpinski, and he was asking me, and I couldn't honestly answer, who's, who was home match, as it were, was this? Who was in charge, India or West Indies? I noticed that uh, Dhoni uh, tossed up as home skipper, as it were, on both occasions, but you know, who was in charge of this? Well, good question. I mean, it was a hurriedly arranged uh, two um, matches, uh, taking advantage of the fact that um, India were on their way home, and uh, it meant money for both boards. Um, I don't know if it was part of the agreement to waive the $42 million um, that the West Indies will play India um, at, at some time, but they stuck it in. But I, I can't really answer that, uh, David. Both umpires uh, came from the Windies. So the tradition of, of having, you know, one um, overseas umpire that didn't apply. Uh, can't answer that, David. 
No, you know, questions to be asked later. No, and it would be interesting to 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 know only in terms of that decision, as you say, about to delay the match for the benefit of uh, an international TV broadcast. It, I know there was millions tuning in to watch at home, but do they really come first? Do they come ahead of people inside the ground who paid upwards of two hundred US dollars to to have a seat for the game? Well. It's prime time viewing in India, and um, maybe uh, the financing um, depended a lot on full television coverage. David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's. I think you quite rightly say that uh, it's something that the ICC might have dealt with differently. I just, I worry that it sets an unhealthy precedent, Reds. But anyway, um, the end of the game was equally unsatisfactory because. Uh, the, the, the rain came down. Uh, there seems to be a difference of opinion whether it really was playable on the outfield afterwards or not. Um, but shades and echoes of the, the disappointing fourth test in uh, in Trinidad Reds. Well, just back to the last uh, game in Miami, uh, I think um, the adjustments were really made on the Indian side. It was a slower pitch. Um, they bowled very different line, very different length. I think they learned very quickly where not to bowl to some West Indies batsmen. I don't think we quite, um, you know, made the adjustments. Um, Charles again got off to a flyer. But other than Charles, I mean, the, the batting left uh, much to be desired. I mean, we played a lot of soft shots, men found ways of, of getting out. I thought uh, that maybe Pollard could have been pushed up um, when we lost the, 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 the quick wickets um, to bring somebody of his experience. Um, but um, I think we were, we must admit, um, you know, long time ago, there was a calypso. Rain came down to save Australia. Match ended in England's favour. Well, that match <laughs> ended in Indians' favour. There's no doubt about it. 15 without loss, and they got that after two of us. I, I suspect that uh, if if a 1-0 series victory could be narrower than West Indies in this two-match series, I, I don't know if it's possible, but uh, but across the two games, um, yeah, they ran out the, the, the series winner, and uh, good luck to them. Smaller crowd for the second game, and the captain's comments at the end. Um, Donny thought he'd played and worse in the past. Uh, Braffitt thought it was dangerous uh, for his players. Mm. Going back to that that fourth test, Reds, and you, know, you and I haven't had the opportunity to look back at uh, that test series um, since we last spoke. Uh, it was an unfortunate thing. There was 20-odd overs on the first day. I noticed in that Port of Spain test that even when they were out there for that brief period on the day one before lunch, that the umpires, Nigel Long... I think it was Rod Tucker, were very, very, giving very worried looks at the divots, that, particularly in the bowlers' run-up. Even when the, the batsmen were essaying a few shots into the outfield, a couple that were hit over the top, and lumps were coming out of the outfield like a, like a sodden golf course. I thought, first chance that they get to go off, these umpires are not going to want to come back, and it proved to be the case. Yes, 22 of us only bowled in an entire test match. And um, I, I'm having a, a quiet giggle at this whole question of having an inquiry <laughs> and a report uh, to the West Indies board. It's the simple truth, David, is that 
the drainage was non-functioning. All the water stayed right at the top. Yeah. And, you know, I remember many years ago, myself and the late Tony Cozier was part of, I think, a 610 radio team when um, there was rain between Westernese and Australian Port of Spain. The rain was heavy. The water creeped up close to the square. And we stayed on to have a drink or two um, at the Queen's Park ground. And to our amazement, uh, the water just um, came totally off. And next day, uh, we, we, we played at 10 o'clock. Mm. Um, the, the, the simple truth is the drainage is not functioning. And uh, whether this was an oversight, um, whether, well, they must have expected rain because this was, in fact, the, 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 the rainy season. Um, and uh, the, the ICC seemed to be taking this matter um, fairly seriously, along with the Durban um, situation, which wasn't very far away from the West Indies of the Port of Spain. And uh, the ICC, I think, um, you know, will be looking into the matter and there could be sanctions. It, it, it occurs to me, Red, that first and foremost, that this is just the folly of playing international cricket in August anywhere other than England. I mean, we've had 200 years of uh, first-class cricket, uh, getting on for 140 years of test cricket. Uh, test cricket has never been played outside of uh, England at th this time of year. And in this month, we've had four different continents hosting test matches. And it's it's the equivalent, it would seem to me, if England were trying to host a test match in late February or March. It rains, it rains and it rains. And even if you get two, three days of clear weather, that ground needs weeks to dry out again. Well, you know, it's really um, a matter for the ICC. Um, many years ago, our last test match was played maybe towards the end of April and then everyone will go off uh, who had English co county contracts to play. Mm. Um, they have the Western East like other countries playing at a time when traditionally we, we never played test cricket and, and the ICC uh, future programs you know, is being questioned. Yeah. What, what I, I, I don't want to see is that they cut corners by um, arranging a two test series. A two test series has got no interest at all because, you know, it's a non-starter. Yeah. So the, the, the ICC has got to be cognizant of, of weather patterns. And, you know, um, you know I, I think at the same time, we, we have to ensure that our drainage is working. For example, in the test match here in St. Lucia, we had a day washed out. Yeah. But still the next day we started on time and that game was able to finish. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's quite right. Um, grounds from ground to ground, there's different facilities and different abilities. I read somewhere that uh, uh, Port of Spain, the uh, the Queen's Park over there, they don't even use the the ground in August for football or any other sports. They usually just completely leave it. So a, a silliness on behalf of uh, Trinidad and Tobago's board and the West Indies Cricket Board to to schedule a game in August at this time of year. And David, um, to my surprise, I don't know whose responsibility, but there was no super supper. Yeah. There was no super supper in South Florida also. And if you're going to play the game at the highest level, I think, um, you know, someone needs to, to, to be responsible. I suppose people will say, well, Queen's Park is a private club. 
the game, the, the ground is being hired. It, it's their responsibility. Well, I think that, that matter will certainly come up very soon. Yeah, well, arguably, but uh, I suspect that their finances are not as rosy as those you would find at grounds in England or Australia or elsewhere. And that the reality is a lot of these places can't afford these things. And uh, if ICC are going to expect the very highest international standards uh, at a lot of places, they're going to have to subsidise it, Reds. Yes, uh, that's true. There are a few grounds that have super soppers. Um, the newly renamed Darren Sammy Cricket Ground has got one. It, it really, um, you know, is a great aid uh, to Ken Crafton and his team. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope they at least learn from this experience. Let's hope there's not any uh, real comeback on, on this. It may well be, in the case of the West Indies, the fact that similar events took place, as you say, in South Africa at the same time. Uh, may mean that people realise this is not just an isolated incident, but uh, is the folly of playing Test cricket in places out of season? Yes. Um, so we, we we await, um, I suppose, the, the the ICC ruling because I think we're just going through the motions, um, read the inquiry. I think everybody knows exactly. Uh, what was the reason in, at Port of Spain? Yeah, no, absolutely. Moving on, Reds, uh, perhaps the most interesting news of the last week, and uh, certainly since I spoke to you, was the announcement that came out from the West Indies Cricket Board uh, of a symposium. Uh, it's well documented and long ongoing, that the disharmony, if I can use such a word, between West Indies international players and the West Indies Cricket Board and uh, the Players' Union, WIPA, all of this dating back to the... Uh, well, the really culminated in the strike in India two years ago in that 42 million claim as you made reference to. And there's been a lot of words exchanged. And Anyway, last week there was an initiative uh, and lots of people, so we are told, got together and thrashed things out. Um, what more can you tell us about that, Reds? Well, I would have liked to be in a fly at the wall um, to just uh, judge uh, the atmosphere, uh, to, to, to judge the, the dialogue and the tone of the dialogue. Um, one got the impression that um, most of the discussions was on the question of money, payments, contracts, etc. Mm -hmm. um, I think the board must be given credit um, for, in fact, staging uh, the event, mm -hmm. taking advantage of the fact that all the 2020 players would have been yeah. um, in in South Florida, and they brought up, um, I think, the, the, the test squad. So they must be given some credit for that. Uh, the players seem to have attended, um, you know, in, in, in full. The one, um, I think, concession one got from reading between the lines and hearing what came out um, is that they will be, in fact, um, a, a document, uh, uh, a presentation to the Western East Board on eligibility. Right now, if you don't play in the Najico, you can't play ODIs. If you don't play in the first-class four-day franchise series, you can't be considered for the test match. There is to be, in fact, uh, a compromise um, proposal on how players can be eligible. Now, uh, will there be further concessions uh, um, from the player side? Uh, we, we just have to wait and see. Right now, I mean, most of our players are not playing in these competitions because they're making good money uh, in the international uh, 2020 series in Australia. 
and in South Africa. That was, in fact, um, the one th thing of note that I picked up. Uh, um, but we haven't got a response from any one of, of the players who said it was a, it was a, a great meeting. We, we covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, we, 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 we await maybe th that kind of statement. But, um, yeah. you know, we, we just have to respond to, to what we heard coming out. No, you're quite right. We haven't had any sort of official communique come out after it, either from the players' representatives, the union, uh, the, the WICB themselves. I mean, you rightly said it was uh, yeah, well done to the WICB for this initiative, but let's give uh, credit where credit is due as well. Well done to those players, many disaffected players uh, who feel as though they've been ignored and not listened to for engaging in those talks with them. I think that uh, shows a great deal of credit to them. Uh, there was some very positive images that came out of the likes of uh, Chris Gale, Dwayne Bravo, Kieran Pollard in conversation with those in authority like Dave Cameron, Wavell Hines, Courtney Brown and others. Apparently Darren Sammy himself, even though he's lost the 2020 captaincy, was there and participated in these conversations. I do hope that uh, common sense has prevailed and they've come and found some common ground. As you say, over the areas of pay and also representation, I would my guess would be that the uh, WICB have had to explain again why their players remuneration at the international level was cut but let's hope they have come found reached some re reached some agreement whereby those players can make themselves available for international cricket by a lesser um, qualification period to, to play test cricket. For example, if they can manage to turn out in a game or two of the four-day regional competition, that that would make them eligible to for selection for the full test team. Yes. Um, quickly, the Mike agree. You must play fifty percent of the matches. Whether that could work, I do not know. Um, but um, just talking about a statement, I expect that maybe Wavell Hines should be coming out with a statement on, on behalf of WIFA, re, uh, the um, consultations um, in, in Miami. Yeah, no one would hope so. We look forward to it and we really do keep our fingers crossed there's something positive emerges from it. <laughs> it also struck me, ironically, uh, Reds, that at this moment it seems as though there's been some grown-up, adult, sensible discussions between those bodies uh, a great deal more diplomacy shown by both the board and those players than frankly we've seen from some of the region's politicians in recent months no you boiling bouncers off a sick bed <laughs> just my sense of playful irony there reds um we, as I said, we keep our fingers crossed that something has been reached out of this. You talked about 50% appearances in some of those games. I'm not even sure that that would be a practical level. If if Kieran Pollard could come back and, let's say, make himself available for two, three games to play for Trinidad in a four-day competition, do enough to show that he's good enough in that form of cricket, that would be good enough for somebody like me to say, right, he merits selection in the test side. The same like Dwayne Bravo, who's been playing almost exclusively 2020 cricket for years. For him to even be considered at the highest level, I'd need to see him back for two and a half hours and make a dogged 50. I'd need to see him bowl more than five or six overs in a day's play. If he can do that, then yeah, he's up for selection. You know, the 50% is the only effect I, 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 I threw out. Um, mm. By all means, if you can get what you're suggesting, 
that'll be a step in the right direction to see them suit up, um, you know, in their national colours. Well, let's let's hope so, Reds. Um, it's been a very frustrating period for West Indians and West Indies cricket watchers, and both of us are hopeful that uh, we can uh, move on from this and uh, see happier times. Yes, um, we can look forward to maybe the matches against India. One will be played under lights with the pink ball, and um, we look forward to the selection of the, that team. There was a little bit of rumour coming out of Port of Spain uh, that uh, the West Indies board, who are probably um, have finished their meeting in uh, Miami, um, may look at the question of captaincy and may look at the, at, at the question of of um, the, the, the the coach. Mm. Uh, but um, I, I couldn't pick up any further on that, so maybe it's just a room out of Port of Spain. Um, someone told me that, but I, I, I don't have any any um, strong strong um, further information on that. Well, we'll monitor that and uh, uh, we'll wait and see. But um, yeah, perhaps we are in a time of change. And as you say, they've got a potential, well, they've got an agreed uh, day-night test match to look forward to. They've got the uh, dates agreed now for uh, in September, October for the tour against Pakistan in the United Arab Emirates. And, and let's hope that the West Indies can go there and overthrow the team that's now regarded as the world number one, Reds. Not that that news was well um, accepted in India. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm fortunate that, that uh, they should uh, be demoted by a, a, a rained-off match, but uh, hey... That's life. Um, just to wrap up, Reds, talking of Pakistanis, since you and I last uh, spoke, uh, there was the death of you know, arguably Pakistan's greatest ever batsman and a man who made uh, a very huge impact uh, on cricket in the West Indian, West Indian cricket supporters. I'm talking, of course, about the late, great Hanif Muhammad. Yes, um, and, uh, you know, Pakistan... Had come in to world cricket, um, you know, quite late because they had broken away from India in 47. And when they came to the West Indies in 57, they only had, what, four series under their belts. Mm. And what a start, what a start to the um, first game, which the, the West Indies, uh, in fact, uh, had to end up uh, with a draw. Um, and it was all thanks to one Hanif Muhammad, one of three brothers, Hanif, Wazir, Mustak. And um, after getting 17 in the first innings out of a, a low Pakistan score of 106 in reply to West Indies 579, mm. they were able to get 657 <laughs> for eight. <laughs> I say that with, with, with some emphasis. One um, Hanif Muhammad batted for 16 hours and 10 minutes, <laughs> getting 337 before to the delight of of all, especially those who were listening. And, of course, the West Indies team themselves. Hanif Muhammad was called Alexander Ball, Dennis Gasselson for 337. <laughs> and at one time, Hutton's 365 yeah. um, was in question, later broken by, of course, then Gary Sobers. No, Sagar Fisobas. But um, after that, it ends. He seemed to have tailed off. You, you look at the scores after that. Uh, Port of Spain, he got 13.81. Jamaica, he got 3 and 13. 
in Guyana, then they shift him down to number four. He got sub D9 and 14. 54 importers Spain in the last test, again batting at number four. But, um, you know, he didn't have um, a big frame. He was a small man. He didn't have the body, let's say, of a Gavaskar, you know, compact. He didn't have um, the body of a, a Roy Fredericks, just to paint a picture for those who might not never have seen him even on YouTube. Um, but great concentration, great concentration. And, of course, um, the challenge at the start of that tour was Roy Gilchrist bowling really quickly uh, to Hanif Mohammed, and it was quite a contest at, at Bridgetown. And, um, you know, he, he, he was no doubt uh, one of the outstanding Pakistan batsmen. Yeah, no, it was uh, a legendary innings, the longest in all first-class cricket, just half an hour short of a, a thousand minutes at the crease in that rear guard action. Uh, one of my favourite cricket stories. Um, correct me if I get this wrong, Reds, but uh, I, I, Hanif began his second innings on something like the second or third day of the match, and if one can imagine the Bridgetown crowd absolutely jam-packed and people hanging from the trees, every vantage point to watch the game, and. Uh, He'd been batting for two, three days when one of the one of the supporters there fell out of one of those trees, cracked his head, was taken to the nearby hospital where he was uh, in a coma for five, ten days. And when he came round, his first words were, "Is Hanif out yet?" <laughs> that sounds like a good story, David. Good story. <laughs> but you know, just back to that uh, Pakistan side. It was captained by H. Carter, who was, I think, um, a blue. Um, at Oxford, if I'm correct. I think that's right. Very good batting. You know, you had Hanif, you had um, you you had Imtiaz, you had Saeed, you had Wazir, you had uh, Wallace Matthias, who was in fact uh, a Christian in, in that side. Yeah. Uh, the bowling was really built around Fazal Mahmood, a brilliant, a brilliant medium pace bowler, Alec Betzer type. Mm. Um, uh, a Pakistan police officer who I think was recognized throughout the world as a, a quality opening bowler who didn't, um, you know, push men back with, with pace, but he, he really moved the ball beautifully. And, uh, you know, then the, the next time we speak, um, we must pull up the, the test records of, of Hanif, uh, and Fazal, they they really stood out for Pakistan for many years. Yes, indeed. Now, probably their their first two truly great cricketers, uh, Hanif Mohammed and uh, Fazal Mahmood. And yeah, you know, we're talking about Hanif Mohammed, who died recently, I believe, at the age of uh, eighty-one. Uh, that's all we've really got time for this week, Red. So, uh, so thank you for joining me. Uh, I know you always like to thank our listeners for joining the pair of us. Yes, <laughs> nice of you to let go down memory lane on um, Hanif. Um, he was part of 50 years of test cricket that the late Tony Gorgian and myself did. Uh, we were able to talk to him in, in, in the late um, 78, 79, or, around that time. And here's hoping that the next period of, of cricket in, in the world uh, will be of a positive nature, that we will see 
um, good competitive test matches and uh, maybe one or two new, new players uh, being featured all, all, all over the world. One Lin, who played um, for the Guyana Amazon Warriors, I see now is in the Australia A team. And I think it's only a matter of time before he gets into the Australia full team. Yeah, no, he had a very fine, uh, very fine CPO, and uh, yeah, yeah, he may be one for for future greatness. Uh, you know, that's a story that uh, we will see unfold in the future. Uh, thank you, Reds, and thank you to all our listeners. This has been the Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean cricket podcast with Reds Pereira and me, David Oram, and we both hope you can join us again next time. Goodbye. <laughs>